We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You are tuned in to the Foul Weather Podcast. The forecast to your next successful hunt. Coming to you from the home office, Jack's Reef, New York. A satirical look at sky busting with follow-up about how to hold ducks on your marsh. A long-term January weather update and your duck migration forecast, all on today's episode of the Foul Weather Podcast. We thank our weekly listeners. You know who you are. Those that never miss a single migration forecast episode each Monday morning. Y'all are as ate up as me about ducks, duck biology, and duck migration. We appreciate y'all very, very much. You know where the ducks are at before the ducks know where they're at. Think about that. You know where the ducks are at before the ducks know where they're at. Our dedicated weekly listeners can pick the best days to hunt because the Foul Weather Podcast forecasts fresh ducks hot from the north. Shoot the ducks from the north before they know where they're at. I'm your host, Dr. Mike, coming to you from the home office in Jack's Reef. Stale ducks for everybody. As a reminder, we produce the only duck migration forecast available. All other migration reports are just that, reports. They tell you where ducks were yesterday or very often last week. We use mathematical models to forecast duck migration each week from October to January for the Central, Mississippi, and Atlantic flyways. We drop episodes each Monday morning for the next week so you know what days are best to hunt fresh ducks. All right, we want to start with a disclaimer by saying don't get your panties in a bunch about this week's episode. (laughs) We actually had to look up the origin of the term don't get your panties in a bunch to ensure it wasn't offensive itself. Uh, Turns out it has a lot of origins with the Brits and with Australia, but none have to do with anything about being sexist or anything like that. So check that box. We're all good. Mostly, just don't get upset or stressed out about the comment about sky busting and disturbance to birds overall. It's meant to be like everything else we do on the Fall Weather Podcast. It's meant to be entertaining and informative. And hey, if you do get your panties in a bunch, well, we can't help you there. Maybe you should reconsider how you shoot at ducks in the marsh. Okay, our notes on the art of sky busting. Make sure and have a pen and paper out. First, please ensure that you use 3.5-inch shells in a 10-gauge or at least 12-gauge, even in the smallest beaver flows or sloughs, on the early season opener when shooting at wood ducks. (laughs) Come on, they deserve a pounding right away. Fire at the first duck you see immediately at shooting light as long as it's within 60 yards because, you know, remember that time you once connected that shot like five years ago? That was super cool. All your buddies high-fived. Next, after the early split and eating the remaining parts of the three birds you hit that decoyed at less than 30 yards, order another case of three and a half inch shells because, you know, waterfowl loads have gotten super cheap in the past several years. And, you know, you should probably also order that sweatshirt that says something like, no duck is too high. 
for the opener of the second split, oh wait, 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 you also need to order that super, super full choke because the super full choke wasn't quite working for the early split. Okay, for the opener of the second split, you have two choices. Sleep in the marsh with like eight other guys and quarantine off about 50% of the huntable area or walk in 15 minutes before shooting light and set up about 75 yards downwind of me. Again, at or slightly before legal time, rip shots at the first passing duck because, you know, it's the opener of the second split and you might never see a duck again that day or the rest of season. In the unlikely chance you hit something, hoot and holler like you just won a brand new frickin' truck on The Price is Right. Yeah. Then spend like the next 30 minutes hollering at your well-trained dog as you proceed to not find the injured bird you dropped. And then, right, just to top it off, please stay all day to get six ducks because, you know, you brought half that case of shells with you, so you might as well use them. Oh boy, right? As the season progresses and big ducks really start to work the marsh, continue to set up at distances from other hunters so their spread can help your spread shoot ducks. When they're swinging over the other guys, you know those like windless days, birds have been shot at a few times, they glide over like two times, and wow, isn't that frustrating that nobody else is shooting at them at 60 yards as they glide by? That's when you let her rip, as they make a turn to cup towards the other group, proceed to drop the F-bomb and laugh about something obviously hysterical, because all three of you shot a fucking pile of air. When the other group comes to talk to you then about being too close to them, tell them to fuck off, but then proceed to either move about like 10 yards further away or move, but do so in a way that you're then within 75 yards of a different group. Now at this point, please, please highball at every duck you see. The ducks and duck hunters absolutely love that. And remember, do all of this while being surprised how all the ducks are leaving the marsh every time everyone in your group lets a giant cannon volley go at every duck. If there's a single at 60 to 70 yards, like everybody in your group should shoot at it because, you know, you all have endless bank accounts for shells. And again, remember that one time you crunched that duck like super high? Remember to come back day after day and talk to everyone at the launch to try to figure out why the ducks got super stale. An alternative is to not talk to anyone at the launch because you can't understand how they have stringers of ducks and you're coming home with a coot. As the season progresses and the more stale ducks get, make sure you have less and less patience and shoot at everything that flies anywhere near you. Welcome to the art of skybusting. I hope y'all took notes. May your shoulders be sore, your pots empty, and your marshes full of gimp ducks. But hey, at least you burnt through some shells. Those other guys barely shot. Okay, that was fun. Is there a lesson in that? I don't know, maybe for some. I don't know, others likely not. What is it that makes a duck hunter sky bust or shoot at ducks too high? We've thought a lot about this at the Foul Weather Podcast, and really several reasons come to mind that we're going to run through for y'all. Let's start with the one that maybe some folks aren't thinking about. Not sure about the geometry of this one and why it happens, but ducks very often look high to you at blinds near you when in fact they are not. From years of talking to fellow hunters that we know don't skybust, they work birds and typically shoot decoying ducks at 30 yards or less, ducks just look higher to you at a distance at nearby blinds than they really actually are. So when 
four ducks come in and they look high and guys blast away and four ducks leave, your buddies in the blind next door are just bad shots. That happens. Similar to number one, talk to the other groups if you get a chance as they leave the marsh. They may have actually been killing ducks, but other ducks above them are all you could see. This happens a lot in kind of big cattail marshes where you can't see kind of lower birds working right into the spread in front of hunters. Another, in my opinion, excusable high shot is a bird that was hit on the first shot, but it's not dead. I'll let three shots rip to help out somebody next to me, if it, and it'll look like sky busting, when, in my opinion, those are ethical shots trying to bag an already hit duck. There's also just the mistake shot when you sat up to shoot, let a single shot rip, and then realize they were way too high. I think we've all done that, you know, once, twice, a dozen plus times, right? So that's level one of sky busting. Uh, the category I'd call looks like actual sky busting, but isn't, right? Next, I'd say, are the kids that were taught that you kill ducks by sky busting by their parents or older friends. These these kids are typically in their teens. They're kind of associated with other kids that are taught to sky bust that they hunt with. Haven't had the chance to really learn from others, and they often continue this behavior into their 20s. You know, they've heard of sky busting, but they don't believe that they're doing it. This level two sky buster kind of often learns later in life about how to decoy birds into reasonable distance for ethical kill shots. But they also, some of them just may never learn because they're just slow learner, learners, right? Or they just hang out with other skybusters constantly. I found that many of these folks come out for about the first week of season and they'll go, and then they kind of go back into the deer stand for the rest of fall and winter. So um, they wear out the ducks a little bit in the beginning, but at least a lot of these kind of level twos uh, don't hang with us for the whole season. The level three skybusters, actually good shots that consistently kill ducks at a distance. And when the ducks get stale, they aren't decoying and it gets frustrating. These folks decide to start shooting. You know, these are right. These are they're 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 treetop mallard shooters and they can drop ducks like rain. Uh, this group right now, you know, if you're listening, they think we just justified the behavior. That's not really the case because this burns out a marsh even faster. If ducks already aren't working well, I mean, give them a break. Shoot the few that decoy and leave early, right? Last week, uh, I came out of the marsh with four birds that decoyed on a day just like that and did so. I killed these birds with eight shots and two of those were, were cleanup shots. This was just a rough day. Birds were gliding by, um, not really working the, the spread. So I just waited for four birds to work right, killed four birds, went home. Could I have gone home with six and shot probably 15, 20 more times? Sure. But I probably also would have helped to burn out that marsh. Instead, shot limited numbers of shells, um, killed four birds, and got out of there by 10 o'clock, which is geez, super, super late for me most of the time. All right, the level four skybuster, they have no shame. They know what they're doing. They have no care for injured ducks in the marsh, and they really won't change their behavior. I think many of us kind of vilify people and think this is the most common group, but we really think that most of y'all that skybust like 90% plus kind of fall into those first three groups, and, you know, recovery from those conditions is, is certainly possible. But here's the deal. Why does, why does it matter? Why does sky busting matter? What, what's the difference? So, you know, let's hit on that one. 
I think first and foremost, it makes you look like a slob that doesn't care about the resource, period. I mean, injuring ducks that you don't recover sucks. If you think otherwise, no quarter here. You're just an unethical slob. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Skybusting also creates stale ducks faster. Even if you aren't going to hunt a marsh the next day, or a few days later, think about the others in the marsh. I mean... Waterfall hunters are a great community, and we gotta quit acting like everyone out there is our enemy. Big guns and shells, heavy volleys at a single duck, and all-day shooting burns out a marsh and creates stale ducks. There's some hunt clubs on the Canadian side of Lake St. Clair in Ontario. They're tiny. You know, like, maybe they have four impoundments at maybe 50 acres each. Um, A lot of these impoundments are even smaller. Some of these places use really high berms, and they actually let Phragmites, which is an invasive plant, right, an invasive grass, actually, um, grow on the berms to kind of buffer noise. They only hunt till noon. Um, They only allow 20 shells, and they only shoot over, under, or side-by-side 20 gauges, and they consistently shoot limits of mallards, which up there is six birds per day. Right In the age of weaker and weaker duck migration to many areas and milder weather that doesn't make ducks really fly well, maybe restraint is needed so we don't burn our marshes out so quickly. All right, so you're thinking, that, but that can't happen on public land. Correct. But it is an example of how restraint leads to quality hunts. There was a great article... I believe in uh, Cal Waterfall, California Waterfall Association magazine years ago that was called Want Great Duck Hunting, What You Need in a Word is Restraint. Just an awesome article. I think you can still dig it up on the web somewhere. But here's the deal. Most folks will push the envelope because if you don't shoot a marsh and you don't shoot it till noon, somebody else will, right? So you might as well, well be you out there killing the last few birds. It's called the tragedy of the commons. This is why hunt management's needed in many areas. You know, reduced days per week, closing at noon, limited, you know, numbers of parties, no motors. But once you get into the marsh, it's nearly impossible to manage sky busting. Honestly, the solution in most cases is a shell limit. Of course, this, you know, this can be cheated. Folks can just hide shells and bring them in. But if you can't hit six ducks with 25 shells... Holy shit, either take up something else, go to the range, find a gun that fits you. I don't know, do something that helps you improve. All right, it's also fine if you're just purely a bad shot, but you still enjoy duck hunting. Just don't burn it down for all of us by sky busting with your friends. All right, well, fuck it. If that doesn't get me fired from the Foul Weather Podcast, nothing will. As always, you know, we happily take your emails with questions, comments, rants, um at drmike at foulweather.co or just simply contact at foulweather.co. All right, folks, on to the migration forecast for the week. Looking for that rain to continue. Uh, We did get some at southern latitudes in some areas, but not enough to fill impoundments in most places. 
The warm-up last week didn't help either, as forecast by the Foul Weather Podcast, duck per hunter averages declined in most areas last week compared to the week before, as migration halted and ducks got super, super stale. We don't currently forecast goose migration, but we can tell folks in the Atlantic Flyway that on Wednesday night of last week, we had a huge push of Canada geese out of New York, and Thursday morning, I was in the deer stand, uh, we had our first good wave of snow geese go over the farm in Jack's Reef. So Pennsylvania should be getting fresh geese, and the snows have arrived at the latitude of New York in the east. Let's start with an update to the long-term forecast. Uh, Just some tidbits here because the overall long-term weather and migration forecast hasn't changed much. We're still in the grips of El Nino, um, and if you're just catching up with us, go back and listen to Episode 8, Predicting the Grand Passage of Ducks, where we explain how we predict duck migration using mathematical models and weather severity indices. But also go back to episodes 3, 5, and 12 that cover how we uh, predict kind of long-term seasonal forecasts that affect duck migration. The long-term pattern predicted right now through February is still milder than normal temperatures for all of eastern North America, as well as above normal precipitation for the southeast U.S. with greatest chances of heavy rains from South Louisiana at about a 45-degree angle up to southern Virginia and then all the way down to Florida, encompassing all of those southeast states in that area. There's a good chance of another stretched polar vortex that would push cold south into North America from the Arctic in mid to late December, and maybe even a weakening of the polar vortex, which could cause a more major long-lasting cold outbreak in mid-January, but how intense and where these will hit is still a complete unknown to meteorologists and long-term forecasters. Tune in to the Foul Weather Podcast each Monday morning to find out where and when weather gets severe enough to push a new batch of ducks south. Starting late last week, some rain helped folks out in kind of the most drought-stricken areas of the southeast into kind of yesterday. Um, The South Atlantic coast states got some much-needed rains. Still not enough, but a start. Um, As noted, most of this rain is forecast to come kind of starting around the new year and throughout the month of January and into March. So, you know, be prepped to catch, catch that rain when you can. The duck migration forecast this week can pretty much be summed up as a trickle of early dabbling ducks out of the places they remain in the north um, towards southern areas. And mallard migration will be relatively non-existent other than some movement in the Atlantic Flyway out of Canadian provinces into locations, I'd say no further south than the latitude of New York. Um, And for the mid-continent, a trickle of remaining mallards kind of out of the latitude of of North Dakota to places only about like South Dakota, Iowa latitude, but not much other than that. Um, We expect that southern states that opened for the second split this last weekend um, did well on early ducks and and maybe a few pockets of mallards, but, you know, ducks remain in in relatively low abundance compared to the past. Similarly, ducks at kind of mid-latitudes like Missouri are likely getting stale, and if possible, you know, reducing pressure might be necessary in many areas to sustain or increase uh, duck per hunter uh, averages. The highlight this week will likely be some new widgeon, green-winged teal, and shovelers moving into areas south of Oklahoma in the west. Some fresh pintails may be sprinkled in the mix, but to a lesser degree. 
Again, though, this is all likely to be a trickle of fresh ducks. The most likely days are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for movement, so good for our weekend hunters, right? If you're trying to balance work, family, and hunting like me, this might not be the week to spend with a wet dog. Uh, We continue to eye up additional potential cold fronts through kind of stretched polar vortex events in late December, so stay tuned, my friends. Also keep your eyes out as we will be releasing our first episodes of the Kitchen Conversations and the In the Marsh series, which are conversations with duck hunters in duck country and raw, mic'd up conversations and shoots throughout duck country USA. Spread the word about the Fowl Weather Podcast. We produce the only duck migration forecast available. Ducks will move. They will migrate. Follow us to find out where and when. Remember to share, follow, and rate us for free. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and Instagram. We appreciate if you take the time to rank the Foul Weather Podcast, and thank you for your support. Also, look us up on the web at foulweather.co, where you can find episode links, recipes, and additional information about how to support the Foul Weather Podcast. We are the forecast to your next successful hunt. Thank you for listening, and as always... May your skies be filled and shoot straight, my friends. 